We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From John Mayer, Mayernich, Mayernich, Mayner, Mayernich. My apologies, John. I'm bringing the heat today, folks. Moss or Rice? Who you taking? You taking the guy with the most talent or the guy with average talent but greatest work ethic ever? Uh, Jerry Rice for me personally. I, I think that you could say Brandy Moss is the greatest deep threat of all time, the greatest vertical threat of all time, the freakiest athlete. Specimen, yeah, I was going to sure. say the freakiest athlete of all time. But Jerry Rice was everything man like short intermediate deep physical strong hands i just think he's the most complete receiver of all time in my opinion i I think that randy moss is the biggest freak but i do think that there were some parts of randy moss's game that like you could counteract and make him less effective jerry rice was just one of those guys where it's just like tough to take him out of a game man like almost impossible for me it would be moss simply because of the style of offense that i would run I wouldn't uh, – got a 6'4 guy that can just take the top off the defense and win one-on-ones would be so invaluable to me. But, I mean, it's it, it just depends on the offense you're running, right? Like if I'm running a yeah. West Coast offense or if I'm if I'm Sean McVay, I'm taking Jerry Rice and it's not even a conversation. It just it just isn't. But yeah. the kind of offense that I personally would run, it would – it would I would – I mean, just give me a guy like Randy Moss and it would be phenomenal. But, I mean, Jerry Rice is the greatest receiver ever played the game and it's not close. I mean, it's not his, close. The numbers his, he put up yeah. were just just insane. And, and they were so much greater than anything anyone was doing back, back then, man. It was just – it was oh, it was amazing. Yeah. It was really amazing. He, he, he transcended a generation, right, or an era because he, like, literally was putting up numbers that you would expect players today to put up, but even players today don't put up those numbers. <laughs> like, it's just wild, man. I mean, he's like – Trying to remember some of his stats. Some of his stats were just insane. Like, yeah, he had like 200 touchdowns. Didn't he in his career? It was something crazy. It was, it was like something that. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And and like the one year, there was one year Ryan where he had like 20 some touchdowns, and you just look at his numbers, and they they only played like 14 games that year. It was the the yeah the 12, the year that he had 22 touchdowns. Yeah, he, they only he only played 12 games because it was one of those years where they had a strike. <laughs> And you just like you just look at it and you're like, that's just like you just think about it and you're just like, that's just really nuts. I mean, and you compare that then to 
to uh, other receivers from that season. And you're just like, this guy was just doing things that were just really insane. So like the year that he had 22 touchdown receptions, the next closest guy that year was Mike Quick with 11. Mike Quick was the only other receiver in the, in the NFL that year that had double-digit touchdowns, and Jerry Rice doubled him up in 12 games. You know, it just – it really was – it really was insane just the things he was able to do in an era where you just didn't see that kind of production. And it was a, it was a running league. I mean, in 2000 and, and 80, in 1988, for example, Jerry Rice – finished second in the NFL that year with 1,306 receiving yards in 16 games. There were 12 receivers that entire year that had um, a thousand yards, thousand yards receiving. Right. Well, go back. What was the last year that they had um, a full season and the 17 games started last year. Right. So you'd last have to year. go back to yeah. 19, the last full year. And, and, and you look at that year and there were 29 guys that had over a thousand yards receiving and the game has just changed so much 12 to 29 and you know jerry rice was putting up numbers that today would be considered very good and he would like put him in like in the role cooper cup has and i mean he'd he'd be putting up insane numbers i mean it just the stuff he was doing ryan was just it was really special man It, it really was special um and did it for a long period of time too that's the other thing it's like he 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 was putting up those numbers overall. I mean, at, at, in 1995, he led the NFL with 1,848 yards receiving, and that was when the NFL started becoming more of a passing league. He had 122 catches, which was tied for second behind Herman Moore at 123 and tied with Chris Carter. And he had uh, – Jerry Rice had 15 touchdowns. Here's the thing, though. He was 33 years old that year. 33 years old, he had 122 catches and 1,848 yards and 15 touchdowns. I mean, at 36 years old with the Niners, he had 82 catches and 1,157 yards. And at the age of 40 with the Oakland Raiders, he had 92 catches for 1,211 yards. At the age of 40. As with Tim wide- Brown. With Tim Brown on the other side of yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just this – just it, it just – you'll know, I don't think you'll – see, you'll see guys that produce like him just the way that the game is now – You'll never see someone produce like him relative to just being so much better than everyone else and so much more dominant than anyone else. Um, he was he was a, a special, special player. But just specifically for me, for the offense that I like, a guy like Randy Moss is even more important than a guy like Jerry Rice to me, just for me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Here's the next one from John Mayernich. This is an interesting one. Uh, I'm going to ask you this one, Ryan. You're running a defense. You have Butkus, Mike Singletary, and Brian Urlacher. Which player gets which linebacker position? Uh, Let's I mean, assume that's, we're also yeah. running a defense in 2005. Right. Because well, we're, we're running a 4-3 defense in this hypothetical. We're running a 4-3. Right. So for me, Dick Butkus is that traditional Mike linebacker. It's where he's going to go. Mike Singletary was a little bit shorter. He was he was the stockier of the three here. I think he was only around six foot. So he'd be my will naturally. And then Brian Erlacher would be my Sam because at like six foot four, 245, 250 pounds, he can play out in space. I can bring him up as a blitzer. I can do a bunch of different things for him. So that's actually a pretty easy one, John, actually, in my opinion, because I mean, like, I mean, Singletary could obviously, is, was obviously a Mike linebacker in his career, but when I compared it to six foot two, 245 pound Brian or um, Dick Buckus or six foot 240 pounds. Mike Singletary, Singletary would have to be my will in that conversation. I think he's a little bit of a more modern-day fast guy. But Brian Urlacher is the easy Sam, in my opinion, man. You just put him out in space a ton with his background in New Mexico as a safety and doing all that type of stuff in the passing game. So Brian Urlacher is the easy Sam in that conversation. Yep. So next uh, for me, yeah, I agree with you, Ryan, no doubt. Call me Ty with the next question. If Chris Tyree, Audrick Estimate, and Logan Diggs all leave after this year, what would you expect the running back depth chart next year to be? Any word on Jabron Payne and his developments? He's come along fine. You know, he's back to good health, so that's good, obviously. Uh, I would imagine a lot of this depends, call me Ty, on on Jadarian Price's health and coming back from that. Look, we've said this before, but the the Achilles injuries are such that you just don't know how a guy's going to come back. And if he's going to be the same athlete he was before. So that's a big part of it. You know, but I think I think love and and price would be a very similar one-two punch the way that Diggs and Estime are now. You, you who's the starter? Doesn't matter. Don't care. They're right. both going to have a hundred yards this weekend, right? You know, and, and they can both make plays in the pass game. I mean, the big the 150 yard touchdown that Jerry and Price had in the in the spring game last year was on a screen. You know, they're yep. both legit weapons in the pass game as well. So uh, I think that those th- th- that would be it, and then pr- Payne would be number three, and then you know Neas would be coming along uh, that next year. Guy that I would keep a keep an eye out on, and, and, and beyond early in his career would be Keedron Young. Would bring a skill set very similar to Audric Estimate at the table, uh, but a little bit more explosive athletically. 
than what Audric is. Not quite as big either, but very similar in a lot of different ways. So that would be my, uh, yeah, that would be my, I, be my pick. A testament to the running back recruiting and development over the last couple of years in the fact that, Brian, if they lost all three of those guys in one offseason, they'd still be pretty dang good, man. <laughs> they'd be really mm-hmm. good. I mean, they would even be more explosive than what that group is, I mean, overall, you know, because you look at Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price potentially as the main two if Jadarian Price is back fully healthy. It's a lot of juice, man. It's a lot, a lot of juice. Not to mention Jabron Payne, as long as he's healthy, has a lot of juice as well. And then, by the way, Aeneas Williams is coming in as your fourth running back on the roster, which is pretty dang good amongst itself. So, I mean, yeah, I I think that running back recruiting and running back depth on this roster is very impressive right now because there's not many teams that could lose all three of those running backs and could just maintain and continue to move forward as well as we think Notre Dame can be able to. Yep. Let's go next one from Brian Hockney. His question is, with all the linebacker offers, are there any that you feel are an Irish lean? Who are your favorites of the group? Uh, Brian, I mean, Irish lean, we talked about him a little bit earlier in the show, but I I think Cole Sullivan, Notre Dame's in a really good spot with a Cole Sullivan right now. I think that he's the one guy that I would say that I would say that Notre Dame has the best chance for right now. You know, they're in the race, obviously, with guys like, Kingston, Vilamu, Asa, they're in the race for guys like Peyton Pierce, although it's getting a little murkier than it went, what it once was. You know, there's other guys that are going to be on campus soon that we've already had on the message board, you know, over the next few weeks. But, I mean, for me, Brian, I think it's – if I'm talking about a guy that might be a lean, quote-unquote, I, I think Cole Sullivan's the easy answer for me. Yeah. Brian, I got I to gotta say something here real quick. John Mayer okay. says – Rice was the luckiest receiver of all time, getting to play with Joe Montana and then Steve Young, but he would still have been amazing with any quarterback. I, I'm sorry, I got to push back on this man. <laughs> if anything, I could make a better case that Joe Montana and Steve Young were lucky getting to play with Jerry Rice, especially Steve Young. He was yes. he was thought of as a bust when he went to San Francisco. Right so. now, I still think yeah. Steve Young is a great quarterback, but I, I'm yeah. I'm sorry, man. Like I just I got to. I got to disagree with you pretty strongly on that one. I mean, you know, again, we're talking about a guy that at 40 years old was having a thousand yards receiving years with what Rich Gannon at quarterback. Wasn't Rich Gannon yeah. their quarterback? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, who's, who's, a, who's a good solid quarterback? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Rich Gannon was a whole lot better quarterback when uh, Jerry Rice was on his team than, than anybody else. You know what I mean? So, and, you know, like 1996, for example, Jerry Rice went out. What was Jerry Rice's numbers in 1996? 108 catches for 1,200 yards, and that was with Elvis Gerbach as his quarterback for half the year because oh, Steve Young got Elvis, hurt. Elvis, you know, Elvis. so uh, I get where you're, I get what you're saying. Yeah, he played with this, but, like, I'm sorry. Jerry Rice was still uh, – he was phenomenal. It didn't, didn't matter who the quarterback was. And if anything, you could argue he made the quarterbacks just as good as they made him if not the other way around. So I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one. And that's another thing is like most great receivers played with a great quarterback. I mean, that's just kind of part of the deal. You know, I mean, you're not going to get the touches if you're not you going to have a quarterback throw, get you the ball. Can't throw the ball to yourself, man. Right. But it's not like, yeah, I mean, go watch the Broncos game in the Super Bowl against the Broncos. It didn't matter who was playing quarterback in that game. Jerry Rice was killing people in that game. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, uh, I'm going to have to disagree with a little bit with that. And, and Paul made a great point too, Ryan. He said Rice also wasn't untouchable like today's receivers. He had to get open. Sure. The two greatest com- quarterback-wide receiver combos in history uh, both have Rice in them. 
I would I would dis I would disagree with the second part. I'm sorry, uh, Steve Young and Jerry Rice are not uh, the second greatest quarterback receiver combo of all time. But I, I, I think I, th- I think he, I think he's talking about in touchdowns. I think they hold the record for like the most sure, best but combo. That's fine. That's but, fine. Yeah. But yeah, that's because that's again because, partly because of Jerry Rice. But that's a great point though. J- Jerry Rice. I mean, he would get mugged. I mean, Dion would hold the mess out of Jerry Rice back in the day. Yep. But in today's game, with with how it is, he'd be a oh my gosh, he'd be unbelievable, unbelievable. And they don't they don't hype up speed the way that they did at times back then, where they would just overemphasize because the NFL game back then, before Bill Walsh really and Sid Gilman really had the impact they had, it was so much of a vertical passing game, Ryan. I mean, yep. it, that's why completion percentages were so low, and so they would they wanted that big tall guy that could run. So you th- yeah. you thank you thank the Los Angeles Raiders and uh, Al Davis for that one, man. Thank those yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's uh, let's go down to A Bent ND. His question is: Have the defensive line and linebacker boards gotten any clearer in the past few weeks? Also, where do you think things stand with Ryan Wingo and other top wide receiver targets? I think it's gotten a little clearer. I mean, a little bit because I mean we were. Brian, when they when those offers were just pumping out and pumping out and pumping out, you're just kind of like, I have no idea what the state of some of these linebackers are. But you're starting to see guys that have scheduled visits to campus. You're starting to hear guys like Cole Sullivan who are getting hit up by coaches nonstop. I mean, I talked to Bodie Cahoon yesterday from Virginia for Patrick Henry High School, and I mean, they have multiple coaches reaching out to him every day. So I think you're starting to get a clearer picture at linebacker especially of like who the guys are and I feel like we've known on the defensive line as far as like who what guys they've liked for a little while it's just like you just keep seeing more and more guys get onto the board so you're like you know where do they stand with Darian Mayo for instance how do they like Kellen Lindstrom like the the, the new guys is more kind of figuring out from the from the defensive line board but I do feel like the linebacker board has become a little bit more known over the last couple weeks in my opinion a little bit more well known yeah Next one from John Mayernich. Here's another NFL question from him. The 49ers and the Packers have the two best quarterback dynasties ever. Which quarterback dynasty do you take? Montana Young or Favre Rogers? Forget to put mailbag. Well, let's uh, let's just assume we'll, we'll work with the assumption that that uh, I agree with the original premise, which I don't. But just in that conversation, um, which dynasty do you take? That's very easy is it very easy i mean it's the montana young one i would actually take the other one no way i would you're insane i think i I think steve young's a bit overrated i mean that's kind of where it starts with i mean i think he was a very good quarterback yeah hall of famer sure fine i i don't think that farver rogers are i think they're first ballot hall of famers neither of them had the career that joe montana had yeah, but I'm talking about two first ballot Hall yeah. of Famers versus one guy that I would say is like, yes, yeah, slam dunk, okay. like no well, doubt. So I'm pretty sure he was a Steve Young was a first. No, ballot he was a first ballot, but I'm saying in right. my opinion, sure. I think that both those that's guys disappointing. Are that's a disappointing answer, Ryan. Aaron Rodgers is a stat stuffer to me. I've, I feel oh, about I Aaron Rodgers great, the way man. that you do about Steve Young. I don't. He's a stat. He's not a winner to me. He's just not. Especially, especially the the, the Aaron Rodgers we've gotten the last seven or eight years. Uh, I mean, he, I mean, he's a, he's a jerk. He's an absolute yeah. jerk. I don't I, care I about him being a jerk. That. I mean, Joe Montana is not the nicest guy in the world either. I've met, I've been around him a couple times. He's not a very pleasant person. Uh, I think I I don't think Steve Young is. I mean, I guess. <sighs> 
I guess I'd have to kind of say, what do you mean by uh, overrated? You know, does Do I think he was one of the 10 greatest quarterbacks ever to play the game? No. Uh, he doesn't have the longevity for that for me. I think part of the thing, though, too, is, is Steve Young's greatness was also hidden by the fact that for five years he was willing to be a backup to Joe Montana, you know, because of, of how bad his Tampa Bay experience was. Because there's been a lot of quarter. This is before your time. There's a lot of quarterbacks that ended up having good careers after they left Tampa Bay that did not have good careers in Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, so – you know, for me, I, I I just I'm not a big Aaron Rodgers. So I feel about Aaron Rodgers the way you do about Steve Young. And they both have one Super Bowl. So then it comes down to Brett Favre versus Joe Montana, and that's not even close. That's not even close. The Steve Young Aaron Rodgers debate for me is a whole lot closer than Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. And Brett Favre was physically gifted. Brett Favre had about a three year stretch of phenomenal football. And then after that, it was just a lot of street ball and you know, turning the ball over too much and you know, wasn't he the first quarterback to lose a home game in, in at Lambeau Field in Packer history? Was that Rodgers? I thought I'm it was sure. Brett Favre when Michael Vick beat him. I thought it was Brett Favre, probably. But yeah, I'm I'm just I'm I'm not a Brett, big Brett Favre fan. You know, they had the one Super Brett, Bowl, man. the I two of Brett. them. They have two Super Bowls. The Jerry Rice Joe Montana duo has five. You know, yeah, I four four were, for one person. Man. Yeah, it's four for one. Sure, person, but though. that's part of the combo. I mean. J- Joe Montana was significantly better than either one of the two I, guys. I, the see, I, I, I don't, I don't think Joe Montana was significantly better than Brett Favre. Well, I really don't. In I, fairness, you you didn't see him play. I did. I mean, sure. Ryan, you were born. He was already past his prime when you were born. I understand you know, that. I'm just, I'm just telling you, he was. And I, and I personally don't like Joe Montana, just personally. Uh, but he was a tremendous quarterback, and so was Steve Young. So I'm going to have to go with that group, and it's not even close for me. I think the Packers duo is – I mean, look, I'm not – if you're going to talk about greatest Packers, I don't even think they both belong in that conversation. I mean, Bart Starr. Uh, I mean, come on now. Come on now. So you're going to start throwing stats at me for a guy that played in the 50s. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not throwing stats. Okay. I'm not throwing okay. stats. Just, I mean, that was yeah. a – that was a team that I feel like a lot of quarterbacks could have sure. been equally as successful as Maybe, Star on that but team. they weren't. <laughs> they weren't. Well, I mean, I mean, well, yeah, because he got the job sure. done. But I mean, if you yeah. cycled in a different quarterback, do they lose those two Super Bowls? I mean, I think if you talk to if you talk to guys that played for the Packers, they would say yes. Who knows? It's well, all kind of. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you know, they would. I'm sure they, they would. They, what they, are appreciate, they, say? <laughs> they appreciate his. No, I mean, they appreciate his greatness. But so I just I'm not a big Aaron Rodgers fan. And it has nothing to do with him being a jerk. I don't care about that. I, I don't know if John Elway's the nicest guy on the planet. I have no clue. Uh, it's about how they play, and so I'm just I I just think Brett Favre to me is a is a very uh, is very over. He's more overrated than Aaron Rodgers is. I would say, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say. So, and I'm trying to think of what other what other combos. I mean, so so like somebody said, Staubach and Aikman. I actually think Troy Aikman's a little bit overrated, to be completely Agreed. honest with you. I think he was a good Agreed. quarterback, but he played on some great teams. I think Troy Aikman could have been a lot more prolific if if he was allowed to be, but just the, he was never never needed to be that guy. And that would be the same argument you're using for Bart Starr, Ryan, is yep. he was never asked to carry a team, you know, for me. So, but uh, I mean, you could, you could say Elway, Peyton Manning, but that would be cheating a little bit because Peyton's greatness was determined yeah, mostly count. by the Colts. But uh yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to. I have to think about this. Steelers, Bradshaw, uh, Roethlisberger. I think Bradshaw was overrated. 
Um, trying to think of some other great combinations that you could look at from their tenures. But, uh, you know, let me see. Greatest quarterbacks of all time. Dolphins don't – I mean, you could say Greasy mm-hmm. and Marino, but I think Greasy is similar to kind of what you said about Bart Sarr, as I feel um, yeah. uh, I feel about him. I don't – yeah. So I'm going to look at this here real quick. Greatest quarterback, see if there's any that are from the same team. Go Pat – I mean, in Dynasty, I guess he's kind of looking at it as the back-to-back part too. I guess – I think that would maybe be – is that – do you think maybe part of what the question too would, Ryan, is is the back-to-backness? It was one guy came right after another as opposed Could to be. like decades apart. Like like an extension, I guess. Yeah, because yeah. I don't Could know be. if we've ever had anything like what those two teams had back-to-back. Right. I mean, that I agree with, like the the success. I, of- I would I would have I would have loved to see Andrew Luck if he would have had a full career yeah. after Peyton Manning. That would have been interesting. That's a good but, one. Yeah. Yeah. If he could have stayed healthy. Yeah. yeah. So I guess it depends on how you look at it. Uh, Joe Medina brought up a, or Medina brought up a good one. He said uh, Johnny Unitas and Peyton and Peyton Manning that if we're talking generations apart, if we can go there, that's a, that's yeah. one too. Because Johnny Unitas, I mean, by the time Super Bowls came around, Johnny Unitas was on the downside of his career. I mean, he didn't even the was it Super Bowl three? He came yeah. off the bench in that game. He was already old and injured, and you know he was a phenomenal player. I'll did say the most John, under. Go ahead. Did you know Johnny Unitas was picked? Uh, was originally signed by the Steelers and cut by the Steelers. I did not know that. Yeah, I did not know yeah. that. That was a out big of, mistake out of Louisville. Yeah, most underrated quarterback of all time, Ryan. Who is the most underrated quarterback of all time in your opinion? That's a hard one. Most underrated yeah. quarterback of all time. Hmm. I think it's uh, my my pick is Otto Graham. I don't think Otto Graham gets nearly enough respect because yeah. again, because he played in the non Super Bowl era, mm-hmm. and he won three championships, but it just didn't come in the Super Bowl era. So I, yeah. I think Ken, I think Ken Anderson from the Bengals back in the 80s, 70s, 80s yeah, was a really underrated he was player. He was a really underrated player. Yeah. Um, underrated underrated player. Yeah. Yeah. Very underrated yeah. player. Yep, so I'm looking through this Athlon Sports top 25 quarterbacks, and of course the top four are all modern players, which I just, you know, I have I have an issue with. But like this one has Otto Graham down at number 16. Like, eh, uh, sorry, can't go there with you. Well, it's like people, this is why I hate when people compare. Like, at least you didn't make a stats argument, Barstar. I respect that. Yeah. I totally respect the argument you made. I think that's a very valid line of argument is, hey, got to play on a great team. Okay, that's valid. I hate when people try to use, well, look at the number of interceptions this guy threw compared to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's a different era. I mean, it's a complete, some some idiot on Twitter, the, I shouldn't even do this because I always tell you don't give these people oxygen. But he's pointing at John Elway's completion percentage as if like that was some bad thing. I was like, go, but look, go look at his yards per attempt. It's the same yeah. as what guys are today because back then it was a different, John Elway would throw five-yard crossing routes at 20 yards because they were taking like nine-step drops. You know what I mean? It was a completely different era. And to me, that's what made like Joe Montana so good is because he was part of just revolutionizing the game yeah. with the with the West Coast offense and the way that it was played. It it that changed. I mean, football was never played the same after after what I mean. And granted, Bill Walsh learned it from Paul Brown, and 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 there was other people that did it. But like the the it just changed the way the game was played in a lot of ways. The success yeah. they had. Yeah. Uh, doing it that way was was really good. You know whose numbers would look a lot better than they do currently, if not for some situation, is Kurt Warner. People forget Mike Martz yeah. almost ruined Kurt Warner, man. With oh, the yeah. no, like he just sent everybody out in a pattern. No max protects ever. Like so many concussions, Kurt Warner missed. I mean, no. from 
he he, get, he started getting injured. Mark Bolger took over for him because Kurt Warner was literally like concussion after concussion. Then he went to the Giants, was kind of the placeholder for Eli. Mike Martz almost ruined the Hall of Fame career for yeah. Kurt Warner. He almost ruined him. Well, and it wasn't until, what, year three that he finally got that shot with the Cardinals. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, was great the next two years before the concussion set in. I, I think Kurt Warner's Hall of Fame, to me, is a debatable one. Uh, but, I mean, when he did play, he put up some – some phenomenal numbers. Joe, Tyler Evans with a super chat. He says most overrated quarterback of all time. I got Joe Namath. I'm with you on that. One. He's got to be up there. I'm, maybe maybe Brad Bradshaw might be in that conversation. Bradshaw, Bradshaw. But, but see, I don't I don't feel like Bradshaw's considered as legendary as Joe Namath. And at least Bradshaw you can say he's got four rings. But I feel like the way you do. I mean, I I think you could probably put a lot of NFL quarterback. Like for example, if you put John Elway on the Steelers Super Bowl teams, they probably win more. But I promise you that the, the Broncos don't go to four Super Bowls the way or three Super Bowls in the '80s if Terry Bradshaw in his prime is their quarterback. Oh, no compared doubt. Compared to John Elway, would never argue so, that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm not a not a big fan of uh, Terry Bradshaw in a lot of different ways. Joe Namath's also very he's very creepy as well. He's a very creepy guy. Yeah. Well that <laughs> that was older. You know, that you're talking about the Susie Colbert Colbert thing. Yes. Colbert, yeah, it was a little creepy. Oh uh, yeah, a little creepy. creepy. <laughs> yep. Uh John Mayernich uh says uh the better college football movie, the program or we are not Marshall. Man, it's the program. It's so completely different type of movies, though. Yeah. It's like I don't even count We Are Not Marshall as a necessarily a full-blooded football movie. It's a great story, a, a real a life story. story. It's a completely different, a completely different thing. So, um, I personally liked We Are Not Marshall better as a movie, but if I'm looking for a football movie, you know, like yeah. I'd much rather watch We Are Not Marshall with my wife on a Friday night if we're having a date night. Like, no I, I, I tried to get Caitlin to watch the program, and she said it was too '80s for her. And I was like, okay, <laughs> "Fair enough, true, very true." It's, Even though it's made in the '90s, but hey, I know so it was like '91 or '92. That <laughs> is, that is though my favorite football movie of all time. Yeah. I love the program. I could watch yeah. it every day. I, I didn't like it as much as everybody else did. I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I just it was so ter- stereotypical. I just I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it a ton. Starting um, defense, place at the table. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You were a linebacker. I can see why you would have liked that movie. Uh, he, here's one from Tommy Guns, uh, Ryan. He says, "Piggy, piggy I'm gonna. I want you to answer this one. Piggybacking off, piggy backing off of that top ten conversation of coaches. What's the worst Freeman would have to do to get on onto into that list? What's the worst that he could do to get in the top ten conversation? Yeah, like what's the minimum he'd have to do to get into that conversation? I, I mean, he would he would have to start having. I mean, he would just have to have. S- 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 uh, consistent 10 win seasons every single year, right? Like double digit win seasons for like what the next five years or so. Like then he would probably mm-hmm. be in the top 10 because I mean, the easiest way to get on one of those lists, Tommy is to win, right? Like to win a, win a championship, win conference champ. Well, obviously Notre Dame's not going to win a conference championship, but win a national championship and Marcus Freeman will get vaulted pretty quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. But for him to, I mean, for the lowest he has to do, he still has to win like consistently. So Right. 10 plus wins for the next five years, maybe like, I guess. Um, I think if he goes to two or three playoffs in the next two or three years, I think that could get him in the top 10 just because the bottom of the top 10 is so unimpressive. You know, like if Notre Dame goes to the playoffs in the next two years, Ryan, and, and they're competitive, I'm bumping them ahead of James Franklin. I'm, I just am. You know what I mean? And James Franklin's currently in our top 10. 
I think the I think where 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 for where you're going, I would have to say that gets them deeper into the top ten where we are now. Yeah. But again, in two years, the top ten could be a lot better, like you said, with Kalen DeBoer and some of these other young coaches coming up that that you know you think have a shot to kind of do some good things. But I mean, look, barring a championship, it would take in the next four years at least one playoff run in minimum 10 to 11 wins every year. I mean, that's, yeah. that's where it needs to be because the standard I'm holding him to is a whole lot higher than the one I'm holding Mike Gundy to or Kyle Whittingham to because of the programs they're at. And that's just the reality of it. Uh, I got to yeah. go with Antoine on this one. I completely forgot about, or uh, got Antoine and, and Archer. So the Michigan and Ohio, Ryan, this is big because the Michigan and Ohio state fan are agreeing on something. Uh-oh. Antoine said, I think one of the greatest football movies is, is the tight. Remember the Titans, even though it's high yep. school. And then Archer said, remember the Titans is my favorite football movie. So number Great one, movie. they're both correct. Great, Great movie. movie. It's about Virginia high school football. It's got Denzel in it. It's like just wins all around. Uh, the second part is the fact that we, that movie could unite a Michigan and Ohio state fan in agreement speaks to its greatness in my opinion as well, as well, sure. Ryan. Sure. So that adds to it also. I, I feel, I feel like everyone, everyone likes that movie too. You don't even need to be like a big football person to like yeah. really like remember the Titans in my opinion. And that like, to me is what yeah. partly defines greatness. Whereas if you're not a football person, you're not going to like the program. No. Right. I mean, you're just, you're just not. All right, here's one. Someone, I'm gonna, someone said necessary roughness. Oh, that, that is a great <laughs> football movie. Uh, necessary so, roughness. So silly, Jay man. Wick yeah. is a awesome football movie. Now, uh, yes, it's a most movie. overrated football movie for me, my personal opinion, is um, uh, Any Given Sunday. I hated Any Given Sunday. Yeah, just the speech. I, I didn't like the actual movie. Just the speech was good. Yeah. Yes, that was good. I will. Yeah. Here's what. Here's what else was good. It was the most realistic football action movie work, like like camera work you're ever going to see. Like you want to talk about the chaos that is being on a football field that portrayed it better than any movie I've ever seen. As far as just the chaos of what happens when the ball snapped, right? That that part was really well done. Overall, the movie sucked, uh, in my opinion. It just it took every negative stereotype about football and put it into one movie, you know. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't like the camera work in that movie at all either. Yeah. It was really weird. It was a weird movie. Talking about during the games or just overall? Yeah, during the games, like the live well, action stuff was weird. It was really good if you're trying to get a real representation of what football is. Yeah, it's, fast paced. It's and annoying everything. if you're sitting there trying to watch a movie and not get nauseous. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, but yes, it's it's very realistic. Of you want to know what it's like to be out on a football field on on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday. It's it, that one gives it to you easily. I did not like the movie overall. Again, every single negative stereotype about race, about uh, doctors, about athletes, and they're all like I've I know people in the NFL. They're like the number of guys in the NFL that are like that. Like I know guys I know that play in the NFL hate that movie. Because they're like, they portray us, that they, they act like the whole team is a bunch of this. It's like the number of guys that do that stuff is so low. Most of us just go home to our wives and kids at the end of the day. Most of us aren't like that. But that's how it was portrayed. It put them all into this, like, it's it's all these these black players going to these parties, snorting coke, hooking up with these girls. And like most, the vast majority of players aren't like that. Yeah. You know, and it just, I I thought it was just lame. And, you know, just super, super lame. 
So, and you know, here's a, here's one right. I've still yet to see Friday Night Lights, the movie. You've never seen Friday Night Lights? Never really? seen Friday Night Lights. It's a yeah. it's a really good movie. It's really good. Yeah, movie. I've heard it's really good. So, the reason yeah. I'm not bringing it up as far as one that I've seen, it's because I just have never seen it. Yeah, Billy Billy Bob Thornton's still weird as a high school football coach, but Billy like, Bob Thornton's just weird. Period. <laughs> yeah, like, well, that's yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> there, there's this show on uh, Amazon Prime that he was in that I thought was really good because he plays a weird guy, but I'm like, it's very fitting for him because he's a weird guy. Yeah. So yeah, I've also never seen the TV show Friday Night Lights either. TV so. show is also good. Would we'll, we'll yeah. verify that. Um, a lot of people say it was. Movies great, great TV show is good. Yes, I was yeah. like that. Father David went the other way around. He said Friday Night Lights, the movie's meh. The TV show is great. What? So, Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yep. All right. Here's the next one, Ryan, from you. I'm going to ask. I'm going to, yeah, uh, we'll, I'll let you ask this one. So, USMA 87. He says, Do you think it is a good idea for Lamar Jackson to be his own agent? I do not. Interesting. I do not. Um, in theory, now look if if to me, Ryan, the way that I look at it is if I knew he had some kind of attorney helping him to negotiate or some kind of advisor to help him negotiate, I would say yes. But in theory, I'm I'm just not a fan of someone being their own agent. Not at his age. You get to a certain age in your career where it's kind of like I don't need your help to you know to. Like Peyton Manning didn't need a, an agent at the end of his career, you know what I mean? Like, but I feel like uh, you know Brett Favre doesn't need an agent right now per se. Lamar Jackson does, in my view, because it becomes so much more personal. That's the problem for me. Is when you're the one in the nego- it's you and your mom doing the negotiations. It becomes personal. One of the biggest advantages to not having an a, a, you do your negotiations is because. Of course, the team is going to have to say things about you to try to not have to pay you everything that you want in the contract. That's just the nature of negotiations when these kind of things happen. And so, but as a player, you're like, hold on a second. You're like saying all these negative things about me. Well, that's part of negotiation. If it was your agent was handling that, it's just part of business and you're not going to be in your feelings as much. And you can't tell me that the negotiations he's had with the Ravens didn't play into him kind of being all up in his feelings at the end of the season and not even being with his team in the playoffs. Like you can't tell me that if he had an agent handling that, I highly doubt that Lamar would have handled all that the way that he did. I just, I just do. And so I just, I don't think it's a good idea. Now I'm not saying he needs necessarily an agent per se. He needs some sort of legal an advisor or something. Yeah. I get that. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I could get there on that. I, I do like the thought process of representing yourself as long as you have the right people around you, to your point. Like right. if you have a good support system around you, because, I mean, man, agents, I mean, 3% of whatever Lamar is about to make is a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like I totally get that but, part. But, but yeah. I, I could argue that he's going to get over 3% of a better deal by having an agent work the negotiation for him. It's possible. You could argue that as well, you know, so. I just, at his age, it's just a bad idea for a host of reasons. And, you know, like people, people like in the NFL are losing their minds. Like, well, I can't believe all these teams are unwilling to take. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go after Lamar Jackson right now, unless I just had no other options, because you're going to have to pay him a max contract and give him to give up at least two draft picks. Right. Isn't that what I saw? Like, cause he's a, He's a transition a, tag guy. Right. Transition tag, yeah. So he 
you got to give up, I believe, two first round draft picks to get him. Correct. Plus the Ravens have the right of matching. So I have a quarterback who I like, but I love Lamar. I sign Lamar to an offer sheet, the Ravens match, and then I got to go back to my quarterback and explain to him. Uh, so what had happened was, uh, sorry, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's no reason for teams to say yes right now, because if you go out and throw that offer out there, if I if I wanted Lamar and I already had a quarterback, I'd try as best I could to negotiate behind the scenes. And I wouldn't even have my main people doing it because again, you know, how stuff leaks out in the NFL. It's just, there's so much, there's so many different layers to that that players don't understand they're all up in their feelings i can't believe you don't want an mvp i get all that but he hasn't played like an mvp the last two years and there's a lot more to it than just do I. it's not like teams are saying he's a free agent and you're not willing to go sign him it's yeah. i don't know if i'm willing to sign him to a sheet that i can that might get matched you know what i mean i so, well they gave russell wilson a big contract yeah and they shouldn't have they shouldn't have given up what the broncos gave up for russell wilson you know what i mean so it's just not it's just not as easy as people think to just go out there and, oh, of course I want Lamar Jackson. There's a lot of teams that would love to have Lamar Jackson, but it's not as easy as, as, as you think right now because of the fact he is not a free agent. Yeah. You know, and so I just, yeah, it's not a, it's not an easy situation, especially with the fact he's been banged up the last, and he hasn't really, to me, he hasn't really improved since his MVP season because he's one of the few quarterbacks I actually watch because I, I actually like Lamar. I, I thought, I think he's got a chance to be a star um over the but he had that great mvp year and i now you could say it's the ravens and i would totally be on board with you you could argue it's well the ravens haven't helped them develop that's very fair very fair but the fact is he just hasn't developed in my opinion the last two years so i don't know what are your thoughts on that ryan It, it was a shame that he wasn't able to stay fully healthy this year because i thought he was actually on course to having a really good season kind of a bounce back year this year and then he got banged up and then everything kind of went haywired again but, uh, I mean, it's a tough call right now. It's a tough call. I mean, on on paper, like, yeah, I would love a 26-year-old former MVP who's a sure. dynamic talent, right? Like, cool. But, I mean, there are injuries to consider. Two first-round picks is not a small bargain. Like, that's a lot. And then you're going to have to pay him. Contract, right? Exactly. You're going to have to pay him 40-plus million dollars a year as well. I mean, so, like, all those things, it's, it's a tough situation to be in. I don't think – the Ravens, I think, are in a it's a it's a really awkward spot for the Ravens, too, man. Like it's a really awkward spot. Because like obviously you don't want to let him go, but also maybe you don't want to fully invest all of his all, everything that he wants in the contract. Right. So like you're you're I don't blame the Ravens for doing what they're doing, though, honestly. Like they're trying to get something out of it if they have to lose Lamar Jackson. I get that part, you know? Like it's just it's a really tough situation, man. I don't yeah. think there's a perfect answer for it either. There's not a perfect answer. Yeah. No, it's and that's the that's that's why it makes it complex where these NFL players need to calm down before they start getting all up in their feelings about how oh how could nobody want you know that so I I, I almost think that Lamar would be better off to take like a two year deal with the Ravens for like mm-hmm. forty mil a year each which is kind of lower compared to some contracts right now but make it fully guaranteed so that you can hit your payday next if you're able to stay healthy over the next two years you know what I mean like something like yeah. that and that's another big problem with it is the is the fully guaranteed part you know and and that's a that's a big contract man you know what i mean like that's a big contract so i i don't know man it's um 
it's we we do we do in a live in a world though where Derek Carr was just given thirty eight million dollars a year I, after I, being trust trenched. me I get I get that I get yeah. that and but like you said though that's the going rate for a starting quarterback nowadays you know what I mean yeah. Daniel Jones is getting forty million a year but again you're talking about a guy that over the last two years Ryan has had thirty three touchdowns and twenty picks yeah and averaged four point two and five point two yards per attempt the last two years hasn't played a full season since his rookie year. You know what I mean? So there's just a lot more to it than than that. And look, and a guy that's one and three in the playoffs, you can't dismiss that either. He's three touchdowns and five picks in the postseason. You can't dismiss that either because ultimately, isn't that what you're paying for? So I get and Tyler Evans actually said that in the super chat. Derek Carr got the money. What is your opinion on Derek Carr? I think Derek Carr is a solid, passable NFL quarterback that should not be getting $38 million a year. That's what I think. But that's I mean, how much a solid, passable quarterback gets nowadays, which is nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. I, I, the I fact just, that Giants I, have to pay Daniel Jones with their – I mean, they basically kind of have to – if they want to keep him, they kind of have to pay him that money, which is the nutty part about the whole thing, Ryan. I, I would have let the, I would have let Daniel Jones walk, man. Would have let yeah. him walk and just – figured something else out. He's not a good enough player to hamstring your roster so that you can't allocate money in other areas. Like you're going to be in a I tough situation. But man. the reality is, is the only way to not be that way is essentially to just keep drafting quarterbacks over and over and over and over. That's yeah. the reality of it. I, I, I mean, really, I, I, th- I think Brian Dayball is a really sharp offensive guy though. Like I think that he could figure it out with a different quarterback. You know what I mean? Like I just, I don't know. But okay, well, but who and for how much? Like what, what I, I'm, not, I'm I'm not arguing. like who who's out there that he could go get and how much would that cost? Are you, you talking about could, are you, you talking could, about a veteran quarterback or trying to get somebody in the draft? Either. No, I mean so you are you saying what I'm what I said which is just keep drafting quarterbacks over and over again? Yes. Yes. Okay. Or, on that. Yeah. 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 Get a young I mean, guy, groom him. I mean, he was a big reason of what who, why Josh Allen developed the yeah. way he did, right? So yeah. like figure something else out, man, because I mean just for me like Daniel Jones is about to put the Giants in quarterback purgatory, in my opinion, right? right. It's like they're going to be good enough where you're going to be contending for playoffs, right? But you're never going to win anything substantial. Right. But you're also never going to be drafting low enough to get the number one overall pick right. or get a quarterback that you really want. You're going to be in such a tight spot now, man. It yeah. stinks for them, in my opinion. Yep, I'm with you. Just looking at the contracts for the NFL, Aaron Rodgers is making $50 million a year. He's number one highest ranked. Russell Wilson's making $49 million a year, which is stupid. Kyler Murray's third at forty six point one. <laughs> That's Another working out well. <laughs> Deshaun Watson's fourth at forty six million, which is insane. Patrick yeah. Mahomes is fifth, the fifth highest paid quarterback in the NFL, and Josh Allen is sixth. Chiefs. That Chiefs did such a good job locking him up when they did before the curve started, man, to get him at a little bit cheap. Now it looks like a cheap contract, and you're yes, like, yeah, it really nice. is. I mean, dude, in the NFL, right? And this is this is my point to you, Ryan, of of the Derek Carr contract. Like right now, Matt Ryan's making thirty million. Ryan Tannehill's yeah. making twenty nine and a half million. Like, yeah. if you want a serviceable quarterback, that's basically what it costs nowadays, which is nuts. And in four years, that thirty seven and a half million is going to not even be top fifteen or twenty. When it, 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 it's nuts, man, this the, whole thing the is new, just nuts. The New Orleans Saints are also just trying to they're trying to hold on to it for a little bit, you know, it's instead just like, of just dude, guys, we've got to just your windows over, man. The, yes. Rams, the LA Rams right now, Brian, they went all in, they won a Super Bowl, and now they're like, well, we got to reload now, man. We got to figure something else out. Yeah. We got to tear this thing down and build it back up. Right. I mean, that's kind of where we are. The Saints right. had their winning window. They won a Super Bowl with Drew Brees. They tried, they tried, they tried. Drew Brees retired. 
Now they have Dennis Allen as their head coach. It's just, it's not happening anymore. Saints like just tear it apart, man. Build it back up. Just tear it apart. Hey, real quick. Something I just saw come across, uh, the uh, ESPN here real quick, speaking of news uh, that they need to do more of St. John's fired uh, their head coach, their head basketball coach. Okay. And allegedly they're looking to bring in Rick Patino. Oh, really? Which would be very interesting. Huh. Very, very interesting. When did Patino so, step down from the car, from the Louisville? It was well, step down's a really nice yes. way of putting well. <laughs> that. Uh, he's been at Iona. It was 16, 17 was his last year there. He's been at Iona since the COVID year. Gotcha. In the last two years, they've gone 25 and 8 and 25 and 7. He's a really good so, coach, man. I don't think anybody yes, would have requested that. Yes, yep. he is. Yep. There's yeah. now there's a lot of things you could question with Rick Patino. That's not one of them. <laughs> yes. And Iona wasn't bad before he got there. I mean, they had made the NCAA tournament the four years before he got there. So it's not like he took a crap program and made him good again. Uh, you know, so um, I'm trying to figure out why. Okay, so the guy that he replaced actually stepped down for health. I'm like, why did this guy leave? The coach before Tim Clues was actually had made four straight NCAA tournament appearances in five and seven years, and he stepped down in 18-19, even though they went 17 and 16, but they went 12 and 6 in the league and made the NCAA tournament, and he stepped down. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. And he hasn't coached anywhere since. They said it was a health issue. So that stinks. Yeah, that would explain it. He's only 63 right now, so it's it'd have been in his 50s when that happened. So it's it's a bummer. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, let's get to some more questions here, Ryan. Uh Here's here's one that you'll be asking me because <laughs> you don't have an opinion. From OO, what's your favorite World War II battleship, Ryan? Well, for me, it's the Missouri. Uh, obviously, what's interesting is battleships going into the war were considered like that was the king of the sea, right? Was the 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 battleship? Um, so. Uh, you look at like the hood and the sinking and the Bismarck and the Tirpitz and all that stuff that happened kind of before we really got into the fight. And then the Japanese built the big battleships. They had uh, the Musashi, obviously the Yamato and all that. But it's funny, even though Japan spent so much in building those battleships, they are the reason battleships became basically not much of a priority at, by the end of the war because of the aircraft carriers, because battleships were so much more prone to being, uh, attacked by by air by air by aircraft and so by the end of the war it was really the carriers were it you had to have a great carrier fleet and that's why we ended up beating japan because we were able to manufacture just a phenomenal uh aircraft carrier fleet which at the beginning of the war at pearl harbor we were in a little bit of trouble because we had a smaller carrier fleet 
and then the Saratoga got sunk. The Yorktown Yorktown got badly damaged, and so we were down to basically like three and a, two and a half carriers by midway. It was the Enterprise, uh, the Hornet, and then the Yorktown was um, was yeah, it was badly damaged. I think it was the Coral. I think it was the Battle of Coral Sea. I think is what it was. I could be wrong, but they were able to quickly get that back into commission. So we actually had three carriers uh, for that fight, where Japan had. Five, I believe, for that fight, and then obviously we were able to to have success uh, in, in that, and we lost one carrier. They lost four in that battle, which was huge. And so, one of the fascinating things about it is the Yorktown got badly damaged in the first wave of the fight of Midway, but they repaired it so quickly that when the J- Japanese saw it again, they thought it was a different carrier and went after it again, and eventually that's what sunk it. Uh, but so they didn't go after the Horn or the Enterprise, and whereas we sunk. They're, they had four four carriers, and they all got sunk in that battle. But by that time, the battleship wasn't as big of a deal. So when the, the USS Missouri, however, got commissioned like later in the war, it was like 44, I think, is when the Missouri – but it served a great purpose on just peppering the islands as, the, as we were island hopping with our soldiers. The Missouri was a powerful force as far as just preparing the islands for the American invasions. And obviously, was a played a role in the actually some bombing of some some shelling of the actual mainland uh, Japan. So, I'd say for the Americans, it's the Missouri. Um, I mean, a lot of the other big name battleships, like the Bismarck, obviously is famous for how the Germans viewed it. But after it sunk the Hood, all the British Navy cared about at that point in time was sinking the Bismarck, and they did. And then her sister ship, the Tirpitz, got sunk relatively quickly, like to the point where. For the for like a year, the Germans kept hiding their battleships because they were afraid that the that the British were just going to find them and blow them up, and they ended up doing it. The Yamato wasn't in action for very long, and then of course we just our carriers just destroyed it. Uh, same thing with the Masashi, that kind of thing. So, but by the end of the war, the carrier the the battleships just weren't as they weren't the kings of the sea anymore. It was the, it was the carriers. So, uh, but the Missouri had um, I mean the Missouri fought in the, in the Desert Storm. I mean, in the Gulf War. I mean, it was still active in Gulf War. So it fought in Korea. Uh, it got decommissioned after Korea for a while and then got brought back. I believe it was part of Vietnam as well. I'm not I'm not 100% sure on that one. But uh, Ronald Reagan recommissioned it in the 80s, and then it was part of our force in, uh, in the Gulf, not Desert Storm, the Gulf War, the first Iraq War. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's longevity, man. That was a That was a beautiful ship. And then, of course, that was a ship that the Japanese surrendered on. Uh, as well so it played a role there too so yeah the missouri is the one for me i used to play this video game that was all about battleships and stuff and i would always the missouri was always my my lead ship so yeah i'm sure yeah you got an opinion you want to share on this ryan i'm I'm assuming no i do some research on this man i do some research all right here we go here's one from john a1 John says, do you think Notre Dame will be more effective blitz team in 2023 does the defense need to improve schematically or fundamentally to be more effective blitz team uh, I mean, look, man, I mean, last year, Brian, it was really frustrating last year at, to a large degree because I felt like they were just kind of blitzing just to blitz at times, right? They were like, our linebackers aren't very good at pass coverage, so just let's just blitz them, right? Let's just get them kind of throw their head against the wall. And, I, John, I think what they ran into last year was there was a little bit of pr- predictability at times with the blitzing. Like, I I feel like I, I honestly did predict a lot when, like, uh, J.D. Bertrand was going to blitz or Maris Loyfowl was going to blitz last year. But then also they're just not great blitzers, you know? Like, you would think Maris Loyfowl would be a, lo- a much better blitzer and be able to get home. 
JD has moments of being good at it, but then like other moments where that where that kind of length that he has, he kind of gets stuck on blocks a little bit at times. So I mean, I think overall, could they be better at blitzing if they mix in maybe a couple of their more athletic linebackers to the fold? Like if Nolan Ziegler and Jalen Sneed and that type, could they be better blitzers? I think they could, but ultimately I think that the defense needs to be a little less predictable with when they're bringing pressure next year, man. Like I feel like it was just when guys were bringing pressure, I felt like an offensive lineman were just prepared for it all the time. And then once they get stuck inside, it's like, you know, JD doesn't have the length to get off of blocks consistently and do that type of stuff. So I think there's just a predictability that was too high last year from a blitzing perspective. And then I think if you get more athletic players on the second level and then add in the less predictability, I think Notre Dame could be better at it. But if you're asking me, will they be? Or do I think they be? could be? I mean, John, like I need to see a little bit of a – it's not really a schematic thing. It's just more a play calling thing, right? Like, when are you bringing that pressure? Like, it's not schematically. There should be some pressures that got home more in 2022 than they did. I just think that for me, it's like Al Golden really needs to kind of go back to the draw board and be like, hey, man, like, when are we bringing these pressures? When are the best opportunities to try to get home with second level pressures? The predictability was the biggest thing for me in 2022. Yeah. Last couple questions here, Ryan, and then we got we to gotta run, so we're not going to be able to get to all of them. First of all, we did have a super chat from Charlie Weiss's last belt. Luffy says, hi, IB. Happy Friday. I know it's important to stack classes to get a championship. Does Coach Freeman truly believe the 2024 D-line linebacker potential class outside of Justin Scott is the answer to a natty? Charlie, you're getting ahead of yourself again, and you're kind of already having a negative view on it. We have no clue what those classes are going to be. There's one dude in Notre Dame's class at those two positions. So um, this is a much better question to ask us in – a couple, a few, several months. The whole thing is though, is not every year you don't have a championship class at every position every year. You just, you just don't. Nobody does. In my opinion, nobody does. Georgia's had years where they're like, yeah, that's an okay class. It was okay. Quarterback. Okay. Receiver class. So uh, it just, that's just the reality of it. You just don't want to stack back to back classes like that. That would be the the major concern uh, overall. But yeah, ask my man, ask me again in four months when we have a better idea, June, July, I'll have a much better sense of it then, but I do appreciate uh, the super chat uh, very, very much. Here's an easy one, Ryan. It'll be quick from mm-hmm. Kyle Wade. Best chicken sandwich from a fast food restaurant. I mean, I, uh, for me, Chick-fil-A. that's easy. Chick-fil-A. Yeah, Chick-fil-A. Yep. Yeah. So, although I do not sandwich. like their grilled chicken at all. Really? Uh, yeah. I kind of like, like their grilled, grilled chicken, chicken a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Here's one from Rob Thidoff, uh for you, Ryan. Or go ahead and read. Yep. Brian and Ryan, as a coach, would you rather retire three years too early or three years too late, and the program is left a mess. That's a tough one, Ryan, because honestly, I'd rather retire a little bit late because I feel the way that I am, if I retire too early, that I would wonder what else I could have accomplished. Have regrets. Honestly. Yeah. 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 Where if I left too late, it's like, you know what? I tried my best. It just didn't work out. And hopefully someone else can fix it. But that that's not an easy answer for me. But I... I think retiring too early would probably make me want to come back in a few years. And that actually did happen to me. You know, I got out of coaching and it's like, thought I had made the right decision and was going to go in a different direction in my life, but it just had that inside of me. I just needed to get it out a little bit more, you know, like Rocky said in Rocky Balboa, you know, I got that beast inside of me. need to let it out. Uh, I probably say too late. There's, I feel like a lot of players, a lot of people kind of look at and be like, Oh, that guy just didn't know when to hang it up. But like, I feel like I would be one of those guys that know when to hang it up, you know? Cause like, when you yeah. love something, it's just like you just want to try to hold on to it as long as possible, you know? So, yeah. I mean, honestly, like I would probably go too late because, like, you know, 
maybe having some regrets of how things ended is a lot different than regretting things that never happened, right? Like the, the what ifs in life are like really scary to me, you know, to have those types of things. So I I think I would also go late. All right. Just uh, two more. And then Ryan's got to go. And then I'll answer a couple more after that. But there is one that I wanted to, a couple that I wanted to get to two that I wanted to quarterback question. I wanted to get to you, Ryan. Here's first one is from Gavin Harden. So I'll ask it and I'll let you answer it. Uh, if because my answer is easy, if y'all had to choose, had the choice of Buckner or Jalen Tyler Buckner or Jalen Milrose at Alabama, who would you take? Tyler Buckner in the same situation. I Jalen Milrose is a really nice athlete, but I, I, I just he's way too mechanical for me as a passer, man. Like, there's just there's like no like Tyler Buckner, even when he's like inconsistent and like all those things that we've talked about, it still looks natural, right? Like, there's still some natural feel to him as a passer. Milrow just doesn't have that. Like everything is super tight, compact, like long, and just everything just looks very mechanical to me. So I, I would say Tyler Buckner in this instance. All right. Next one is from Tyler Evans, and it's a super chat. Fun question. Who wins the starting quarterback battle at Texas? I think Quinn Ewers ends up winning it. I wouldn't be shocked if Quinn gets replaced at some point if he has up and down play by Arch Manning, but I the you know he's older a year in the system he is very talented as well right like he is a talented kid i i think that texas gives him every opportunity to win the starting job and i think quinn does in the preseason but you know it's in a situation unlike last year where if quinn does struggle i don't think that steve sarkeesian will i don't think he'll i don't think he'll hesitate to put in arch manny if he's struggling during the year yeah, uh, agree, agree. Quick super chat from Joe Medina. A most underrated Earl Moral took yep. Unitas' Colts and the undefeated Dolphins to the Super Bowl. Greatest backup think, quarterback of all time, yes, Earl Morrell. There yep. you go. That's a great way of putting it. Absolutely a great way of putting it. Ryan, if you got to go, you can go. Uh, I'm going to keep rolling through a couple of these before we go, but I'm, I'm, we got to wrap up because I got to get – I got to get running on here as well, but um, we had a, a couple more that I at least wanted to kind of get to here. Let me find some of these. David Lowe says, uh, Brian, do you see this class being around the same ranked as last year or higher or lower? It's way too early, David, for me to know. Look, first of all, you know my stance. I don't care where it's ranked. I don't. But in respect to your question, because I, I do know some people do, and, and that's totally fine. It's too early. I think, David, the time to ask this question would be more towards like June and July relative to what we discussed earlier in the show is, We'll have a much better idea of what this class is going to look like by June and July. It's still so early right now that it's just hard to know. Some positions I feel like I know where Notre Dame's going to be. Others, I don't. I just think it's a little too early to to me for me to have an opinion of that. I mean, it's ranked about where last year's class was. It's a really good class so far. Uh, I would say slightly ahead of last year's class because they have a big-time quarterback, whereas last year's class did not have a have that publicly anyway. And, and so that's an important thing. There's a little bit more balance in this year's class, five to three as compared to two to six last year. And uh, so I would take this year's class slightly over, but uh, I, this class is going to have to finish. And and I don't know if we're going to be able to get to that point in time. We had a super chat uh, from Charlie Weiss's last bell. We said, look up Saints, Mayor Iglese, a paratrooper. John Steele pretended to be dead for two hours. Well, he's stuck to the steeple. This is there's a replica of him hanging to this day that was put up after the 67 anniversary of something. Uh, we didn't see the rest of Charlie's uh, question. Robert McReynolds asked Brian and Ryan, "How do you think Sterling Sharp would stack up against Rice having a full career with Brett Favre?" Obviously, Sterling Sharp's career uh, was cut short because of uh, a neck injury. 
That's a that's a really good question because he was starting to around that time. Sterling Sharp was starting to kind of start. He, there was conversation, as, as you know, about you know, hey, this guy's this guy's big time. You know, could he be someone that kind of battles Jerry Rice for that that role of the greatest in the game? I I don't know if I don't think he would have been on the same level as Jerry Rice. He was very very good. You look at his numbers, he started having big-time numbers at a time when the league was starting to become more passing-oriented, which is the early 90s is when you started to see more and more passing. He had a great year in, in 1989 as a second-year guy, uh, 90 catches, 1,423 yards. He was starting to have some really good production. And then you say, well, you know, what would it have been like with Brett Favre? I mean, that's a very fair question. I, I just don't know if it would have been necessarily – on the level that Jerry Rice did. I mean, you know, his career kind of ended as far as started. I think there was like, what, three, two or three seasons of carryover between the two of them. Uh, you know, Sterling, he would have put up some great numbers. He would have been a no-brainer Hall of Famer, in my opinion, if he doesn't get hurt. I just don't know if he would have been on the the level of a, of a Jerry Rice at that point in time. I just, I'm, I'm just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough about what he would have become. I think Brett Favre's inaccuracy would have hurt his overall production where Terry Rice's production was maximized partly because of how great he was, but also partly because of how good the quarterbacks he played with are. So here we go. Last one from Wayne Miller. We're going to wrap up here. He says, does Minchie stay in their name if he doesn't start until he's a senior? Uh, uh, see, freshman year Hartman, sophomore Buckner, and junior Buckner. I don't know. I mean, I would hope so. I would hope he would stay. I think. I think. I think it would depend more on where he is on the depth chart behind Buckner, more so than him not being the starter. So, for example, if in twenty five, which would be his what junior year, and you have him behind Buckner, it would be more about okay, where is he rel- related to CJ Carr, more so than where is he related to Tyler Buckner. I think that would be the bigger question mark. If he's ahead of CJ Carr and he's going to be the guy, then sure, stay, and you still have two years to be a starter. But if uh, if he's behind CJ Carr, then most likely he, he wouldn't be, in my view. So anyway, that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Thank you all so much. I had tons of great questions, great conversation uh, in the show today. I appreciate all of you that were with us today. And uh, somebody said I missed a super chat. I don't – what super chat did I miss I uh, got Tyler Evans super chat. So who who super chat did I miss? I got Joe Medina's. Uh, oh, here we go from Robert McReynolds. Uh, Robert McReynolds, the super chat says most underrated quarterback is Warren Moon. Yeah, Warren Moon is an interesting one because obviously he played for several teams. You know, his career was not started at the time that a lot of other quarterbacks careers would have started because of you know, the, the way that black quarterbacks were viewed back then, you wanted to move them to another position. So he, I think he went to the USFL or CFL, I believe is where he went before the NFL, I believe. But uh, look, he was a great quarterback. I think the pro, I think the thing that hurts Warren moon is he, the perception of the run and shoot offense that he played in. There's a perception that like his stats were padded a little bit. And, and uh, with some people that I know in, in ways that I think are a bit unfair. And uh, because I don't think Jim Kelly gets the same treatment 
but I think the other thing too is is the version of the offense that he played in. Uh, he threw he threw a lot more picks, like in my opinion, than than maybe some other quarterbacks that and and I think he gets ding for that more than other quarterbacks do. I think that's another thing that I think maybe hinders his, the, his perception a little bit, but I don't think that's necessarily fair because I think Jim Kelly threw a lot of interception in his career too. I I think not winning a Super Bowl, not ever playing in a Super Bowl. I don't even know. Did the Oilers ever even get to a championship game? Maybe one. I think that hurt him too. I think, look, fair or not, here's the one thing that is fair. You're judged on championships. And I know he won some in the CFL, but that's not where your evaluation comes from. Your evaluation comes from, do you win in the NFL? And the reality is, is he was never a guy that could take his team to that level. And he played in an era with so many other great quarterbacks that I think a lot of times he was just overshadowed. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I just, I think that was a big part of it to me is just sometimes that happens. You're a great quarterback, but you played it in an era where other quarterbacks were just better. I think Warren Moon's a hall of famer, no doubt hall of famer, but he played in an era with Joe Montana, John Elway, Steve Young, Dan Marino, uh, Jim Kelly, Troy Aikman. There were so many great quarterbacks back then. Ryan and I have talked about this, but the late 80s and early 90s was like the golden era, in my opinion, of quarterback play. And so some guys are naturally going to get overlooked, and it's usually the guys that don't win. You know, Jim Kelly didn't win a championship, but he went to four Super Bowls. That's a heck of an accomplishment. Dan Marino never won a championship, but he went to a Super Bowl and and made it to some AFC championship games. And, and Warren Moon just never was able to get to that level. So I think that that hurt him a little bit, but I also don't think he played on some of the teams that those other teams did. Like there's a game, the, the Oilers had a lead on the Broncos in the playoff game late in the game. And John Elway, you know, pulls a rabbit out of his hat. He's running left. They come up, just jumps it over him. Vance Johnson catches it, runs down the sideline. David Treadwell kicks a game winning field goal. And, and that knocked him out from going to, I think that would have sent him to the AFC championship game. I believe I'm not hundred percent sure about that, but. That's just the nature of it. Quarterbacks are are evaluated off of, at least it used to be, they're evaluated off championships. I don't know if it's the same now. I'm, I'm not sure. I just don't follow it as much. But I think that's a big part of it too. So I, I think that would be a reason why you could understand him being a little bit underrated. I do think he's underrated, but I, I understand a little bit more. But you know, I often wonder if this guy would have gone here or there. if if you know Because Steve Young started in the USFL as well. So he's not the only guy. Uh, that was that way. But anyway, as a fun, fun stuff to discuss as always, y'all, I appreciate it very, very much. Everybody have a great rest of your day. Five o'clock IB nation sports talk has their rapid fire at five o'clock. So that starts in 18 minutes. You're definitely gonna want to check that out and make sure folks, you hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Make sure you sign up for the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Please check that out. Uh, check out our merch store, Check out our um, our newsletter. You can sign up for our daily newsletter, all that stuff. Just stay locked into Irish Breakdown. That's the key thing. And thank you, of course, for joining us today on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.